We're in John chapter 14 this morning. We're, through, we're going through this sermon series that I've entitled The Church. And uh, I, I'm using the tagline, Transforming Minds and Changing Lives, because we're tying in what we're doing here as a mission here at Cornerstone Christian Church with this idea of what the church is supposed to look like. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 14 as we talk about the church being powerful. Today is uh, Pentecost, as uh, Carl shared in Sunday school class. And I think this sermon ties in a lot with that day of Pentecost, a very, very powerful event that day. And, and as we think about the church, we have got to connect the power of the Holy Spirit with the purpose of the church. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that in John chapter 14. Let's, let's start reading verse 11. Believe me, Jesus says, when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Let's pray. Father, right now we ask in your name, in your Son Jesus Christ's name, to allow your Holy Spirit to do its work, to open our minds, to guide and lead our thoughts as we study from your Holy Word. I pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will speak to our minds, and that you will continue the job that you started when we became believers, that you might transform our lives into the image of your Son, and, the, and the, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, when I first read this text, I really got hung up on these words, greater things. Now, how in the world are we going to do greater things than Jesus? I mean, think about it. Jesus churned water into wine. Jesus walked on water. He healed people with leprosy. I mean, we didn't even, as a human race, come up with a cure for leprosy until 1941. There was a woman who was subject to bleeding, and she spent all of her money, went to countless doctors, the best in the world, and Jesus healed her passively. She was just close enough to him, touched his robe, and Jesus healed her passively. Jesus raised two people from the dead. And he himself defeated death. Do you know anyone, anyone, who has done so many great things? I don't. In fact, I'm skeptical when I see things on TV that even reflect anything close to this. So what did Jesus mean when he said that you, the disciples, and us even, how are we going to do greater things? 
I want to answer that first and then dive into what that looks like in a practical way. We got to answer that by going to Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, when we see Jesus use this phrase, greater things, to refer to John the Baptist. He says, truly I tell you, among, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. But listen to what he says. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Do you see that Jesus is declaring John the Baptist is one of the greatest prophets to ever walk the face of the earth? And I mean, what made John the Baptist great was tied in directly to whom he got to walk with. Elijah, Isaiah, Moses, they all foretold about Jesus Christ. But John the Baptist, he got to walk. With Jesus Christ. And that's what made him greater. But who are the least in the kingdom, right? Jesus was declaring the kingdom of God here on earth. The least of the kingdom would be folks like you and I. We don't got great names. People don't recognize us on the street, right? But we're least in the kingdom and somehow... They're greater than John the Baptist. You see, we're not necessarily better than Moses, Elijah, or Isaiah, right? But what makes us greater is directly connected to the message of Jesus Christ. It's the kingdom of God. It's the fact that you and I get to live in an era of a risen Christ Jesus. We get to live in the kingdom of God. John the Baptist didn't get to do that because Jesus hadn't rose yet when he died. Moses and Elijah, they never got to walk with Jesus. We are greater and we do greater things because of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples in verse 12. He, that is the disciples, you guys, we will do greater things, listen, because, Jesus says, I am going to the Father. You follow Jesus' logic? Jesus worked miracles. He did great things that gave glory to the Father. And it showed that, in fact, he was the Messiah. Now Jesus goes to the Father we can do miracles. We can do great things that give glory to Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father. Great things, greater things, is directly connected to the post-resurrection situation that you and I find ourselves in, the kingdom of God. So that's the definition, and that's how we do greater things. But let's break it down into what the church looks like when it does great things in the kingdom of God. If you're following along in your notes, write this down. Powerful miracles. Powerful miracles. Look at the miracles in the Old Testament. They were incredible, right? The parting of the Red Sea, incredible. Water flowing from a rock, incredible. People being healed by prophets. Incredible. 
And you see that work in Jesus in his ministry as well. Incredible and powerful miracles. And each of them were done to bring the observer's attention to God. These messengers would perform a miracle to show God's sovereign power over creation and to give validity a foundation to the message that was being given. When the Red Sea was parted, God was saying, I am redeeming you as a nation. I am, I am saving you. I am lifting you out of bondage. Walk through that Red Sea. And when Jesus healed the leper, when he made the lame to walk, he was declaring the kingdom of God here on earth and showing that God did in fact give him that message. Timothy Keller says that miracles led not simply to cognitive belief, but also to worship, to awe and wonder. Jesus' miracles in particular were never just magic tricks designed only to impress or even coerce. Instead, he used miraculous power to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, and to raise the dead. Why? Timothy Keller says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant, listen to this, Jesus meant them to be a restoration of the natural order. Restoration of the natural order is still happening today, amen? Prayers for the sick are still being answered every day, folks. But it's not just the sick who are transformed. Powerful miracles happen even when the drug addict becomes sober. Powerful miracles happen when the broken find healing. Powerful miracles happen when the atheist believes. And the church becomes a vehicle for such miracles. Maybe you've heard those testimonies here at Cornerstone or at another local congregation, but the truth is the restoration of the natural order is happening all over the world. And it's doing it not just to be a magic trick or to trick people into following you. No, it's drawing us back to God and giving validity to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Jesus said from the boat, after Jesus walked on the water, as the disciples said to Jesus, after he had walked on water, he, they said, truly you are the Son of God. When the sick are healed, truly he is God. When the atheists believe, truly he is God. When your young one has come back to God, truly you are the Son of God. Powerful miracles still happen today, and the church is the vehicle. We as God's people are the vehicle for those powerful 
miracles. All right, so write this down. Something else that has a, a way that the church is doing greater things is powerful love. Is powerful love. In John's gospel, this discourse that we just read happened after Passover. It's just one chapter earlier in chapter 13. The disciples and Jesus are in the upper room celebrating Passover. This is where Jesus is telling the disciples about his impending death. He passes the cup. He passes the bread. Jesus even washes his disciples' feet. And he says these words in John 13, 34 through 35. He says a new command. It's a new command that I give you, to love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. And by this, that is this loving of one another, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is a powerful thing. Songs have been written about it, amen? But there is nothing more powerful than loving as Jesus loved. Is there anything more powerful than that kind of sacrificial love? And Francis Chan points out that somehow we took this command to love one another and we have reduced it to gathering once a week. Jesus says to love as Jesus loved. And how can we accomplish this? once a week, during an hour-long service. Are we really loving each other sacrificially right now? When was the last time you treated the church selflessly? In fact, many times we leave the church like we do a movie theater, critiquing the show and not knowing anyone else in the theater. But when we show sacrificial and selfless love, People stand up and notice. Then the world knows that we are his disciples. This kind of sacrificial and selfless love happens outside of this building and inside as well. A powerful love full of sacrifice and selfless behavior starts, I believe, with leadership. If the elders of the church are selfish and divisive, the people of the church will be the same. If leaders of the church are selfless and generous, you'll find a church following suit. And we see this in business, don't we? Chick-fil-A has set a standard of selfless service with my pleasure. It was a few years ago, I went to McDonald's for lunch and the drive through attendant said, this is McDonald's, what you want? <laughs> I said, I want to go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> no one wants to be part of a divisive church. No one wants to be part of a selfish body of believers. People are drawn to selfless, courageous, sacrificial love. And that's why Jesus said you must love as he loved. That's why he said that the world will take notice and know that you are his disciples when you love as he loved. 
You ask me why I've been here for 15 years? It's because I've seen the leadership of this church and members alike who have selflessly and generously taken care of one another inside and outside these walls. We must continue this kind of powerful love so that the world can see the real love of Jesus Christ. Here's my final thought about ways that the church is doing greater things. It's powerful service, folks. You could write that down as well. It's, it's powerful service. At the very core of our faith is Jesus Christ, who is the perfect example of service. And Matthew, Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. In Philippians, Paul writes that Jesus, that our attitude should be like Jesus, because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. I mean, that's the very core of our faith, is it not? A powerful service of Jesus Christ who is the king of kings, the one who took off his robe and washed his disciples' feet. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Man, if I gave you $100 to detail my car, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to critique that. I'm going to look over each and every crevice of that car, and I want to make sure that it's perfectly clean, right? But if you showed up and you detailed my car as a gift, I'm going to inspect your work with gratitude. Amen? The church has become a, a vendor of religious goods and services. We come to church... Once a week for an hour, complain that we're not being fed. We inspect every detail of the church with great criticism. Meanwhile, there's others who come to church with this gratitude and selfless service. Others find ways to invest into other people's lives. How can I use my talents to make the community a better place? How can I use my gifts to better serve, to help this place grow and be transformed? What would happen if everyone approached church in that latter way? What would happen to a church if everyone showed up thinking, how can I serve you? When Paul wrote the first letter to the church in Corinth, He's writing to a bunch of selfish folks. I'm going to tell you what. There were people that didn't understand this idea of powerful service. And he told the church they were given the Holy Spirit for a purpose. It's to build one another's up. Paul said that. Here are some thoughts by Francis Chan about that. Paul wanted all believers showing up with a confidence that God wanted to move through them, that God wanted to possess them, that God wanted to manifest himself through them to build up everyone who had gathered together. 
Do you approach gatherings with that expectation? Or are you content to receive from others? And if so, you're, you're going to miss out on the thrill of having the Spirit manifest himself through you. This will cause you to be dissatisfied and the church to suffer. Francis Chan said, your gift is needed. Ooh. Man, when's the last time that I woke up and thought, I've got the Holy Spirit right now. And I pray that Jesus and his power will manifest my life. That I can be his agent of change in this world. I'd say a lot of Christians don't even show up on Sunday mornings thinking that, let alone during the week. Come on, church. Transforming minds and changing lives is the DNA of this church. And I can share with you Testimony after testimony of God's powerful transformation through the vehicle of Cornerstone Christian Church. The times where minds have been transformed. The time when lives were changed. And all of them had a common theme. Miracles happen through this church because of the power of service. Our little tiny church has done greater things because Jesus has gone to the Father. We have been gifted with the Spirit. And a few folks said, I'm going to stand up and be used by God. Do you believe that you can be used by God? I believe you can. I don't care where you're at this morning spiritually. I don't care what kind of sins you're bringing to the table today. This is what I know. I know that Jesus Christ transforms. He is able to do that because of the power of his resurrection. He is able to do that because of a body that was broken. He's able to do that because of a blood that was shed. And we are transformed and made anew because of Jesus Christ. How great thou art. As we sing, think about the greatness of God displayed and the transformations that are happening all around you. Think about the transformation that has happened in your life. How great thou art. When we sing, gather your cup and think about that as you hold until we can take it all together. Let's pray. Father God, I truly believe in your power. I truly believe that you are transforming each one of us, even right now. Help us to be a church that loves like you loved, that serves like you served. Help us to be a Holy Spirit-driven church. We believe in the power of your Son. It's whose name we pray. Amen.